All right, you can grab a seat. Welcome to Crosspoint again this morning. So glad that you're here with us. Uh, my name is Kyle. I'm the high school pastor here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I would love to get to do that. If you want to stick around in like second winter out there after a bit, after the service, I'd be happy to, happy to hang out. Um, this is kind of cool for me because I don't, I, I've never gotten to be up here two weeks in a row to share with you. Now, I don't know what it says about me that these are like two consecutive Sundays where it's been raining, and that's like never happened in the history of Modesto, I think. I don't know what that says about me, but I'm glad to be up here. I'm glad to be sharing, um, and I'm glad to, it's fun to be able to build on what is already, what we kind of already started last week. And so if you were here last week, and um, we began this series called Image of God, and uh, it's going to be a four-week series where we're going to walk through mostly the book of Genesis, and we are going to look at the ramifications and the consequence and what it means that Scripture really clearly, there's no like confusion about this, very clearly Scripture tells us that we are made in the image and likeness of God. Um, and so we're going to discover like what that means for our life. And we, we talked a little bit last week about how um, it's one of those phrases we hear in church a lot. And everyone else seems to kind of have a good handle on what it means, so we just pretend like it does. But if we're all honest, we're all a little fuzzy on what that actually means. And as we've taken the time to look through it, and we're going to continue to over these next few weeks, I think we're going to have a much clearer, richer picture of who God has made us to be, and I think even more importantly, uh, what God has created us to do in this world. And I think those two things are very, very clearly linked. Uh, Last week, we took the time to look at what our purposes. We kind of try to at least start the conversation to answer that question that every single one of us has. There's not a single person in the room who hasn't asked this question, and that is, why am I here? Like, what's my purpose? And uh, we've all felt that, and what we found in life is we go to all these different places to try to find out what our purpose is. Some of them are really bad for us. Some of them are just in the middle somewhere, and some of them even might seem good, but the vast majority uh, we, we find are lacking. And so we, we looked into scripture and we saw that really at the very beginning of our story, the story of humanity, God gave us our purpose, like right at the very beginning. And you may remember this from last week if you were here, but our purpose is to make more of, make more images of God and to rule over the, the world that he created and to partner with him in bringing more and more good out of it. That's what, that's what he created us to do right from the beginning. Now, for Adam and Eve, that was a pretty straightforward thing. They had babies and populated the world. But even now, like as followers of Jesus, that is still our purpose, is to help more and more people understand that they are made in the image and likeness of God and to rule over this world, but the way that God would have us rule. We spent some time talking about that last week as well. How our mind jumps when we think of a ruler to someone ruling through fear or intimidation or oppression. It makes sense because that's what we see. But that's not what God laid out uh, as, as the, the definition of ruling in his kingdom. It was someone who ruled by putting others first, by serving, by loving, by caring. And this word came up, this term that we're going to keep using, all in service to human flourishing that more and more good would come out of the world and, and benefit the people in it. And so if, if I could kind of boil down last week into kind of one sentence to help us contrast what we're gonna be talking about today is last week was all about how things ought to be. Last week was all about this is how things should be. This is how God created it to be in the beginning. This week, 
We're going to spend some time, it's, it's a little bit of a bummer, but if you hang with me, it's going to make sense. This week, we're going to talk about how things actually are. Because if, if you remember last week, uh, at the very end of the service, I kind of challenged all of us to go out from here, and as we walk through our life, all the things that we find ourselves doing, being parents and, and brothers and sisters and, and employees or bosses or, you know, the guy eating a hamburger at McDonald's, I don't know, whatever that you find yourself doing, to ask every single little step of the way, like, what would this look like if I was living fully in my purpose to make more of and to rule over? Like, what would this activity or this interaction or this relationship look like if I really embraced my purpose for being here? How would that change things? And so, you know, I did that. I don't ever want to be one of those people that's like, hey, go try this, and I don't do it myself. So I've been trying to do this, even over the past few weeks, just critically look at all these different parts of my life and asking that question. And I won't lie to you, like, I came back a little frustrated. And maybe if you gave this a shot over the past week, if you kind of took that challenge seriously, maybe you're rolling into today a little frustrated. Maybe frustrated at me, because they're like, why do you tell us to go do this, and now I'm frustrated. I'll take that. That's fine. Maybe just in general, because you love what you hear about how things ought to be, and we should. We absolutely should. It's good news. It's an awesome picture that's being painted of how God created us to be. We love that, but then we contrast it with the world that we're actually living in, and it doesn't look anything similar. Do you feel that? I feel that tension. How This is who I want to be, and this is how I want the world to function, but then that's not my experience over here at all. And it creates tension in us. It creates like there's this disconnect that creates some frustration. And I think that there's a reason for that. Uh, and I think the reason is, is the thing that we're going to spend time talking about today, something that's in us um, that needs to be brought into greater clarity if we're really going to understand how to move forward. Um, it's really easy for us, I think, to kind of gloss by some of these things, be like, yeah, something's off, but I don't know, we'll just keep going, put our head down, get through it, and that'll be fine. Rather than stop, take a moment, and really assess, like, what's the problem? Like, what's going on? Where does that tension come from? Because I'm a huge, huge believer that if we don't have clarity in the state that we are in, we have no hope of moving forward. I'm a huge believer in that. It reminds me of this time when I was in high school. Um, I think it was like my sophomore year of high school. I got like really sick for a while, and it was uh, it was awful. I uh, a lot of it is I'm, I'm repressing it. I think in my memory because it was like a really really bad experience. But I was in and out of the hospital, and I spent quite a bit of time in the hospital. And like light hurt me, like my sensitivity was all messed up, and like my hands like would hurt and my skin would hurt and my stomach would hurt and I would throw up and I was nauseous and all this stuff and it was just like a really horrible experience and I remember this is about the only clear thing I remember throughout that whole experience was I was in the hospital and they kept trying different things to try to figure out what was wrong or to alleviate some of my pain or discomfort and I remember they gave me this like button that they said was a morphine drip and I'm pretty sure in hindsight they wouldn't have given like a 15-year-old, like, full access to morphine, probably a placebo thing, but all I remember doing is being like, oh, man, this, this is morphine? This will make me feel better? Click, 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 you know? And obviously, like, that, that's not how it worked, but that's, like, the clearest picture because I was in such pain and it hurt so much, and um, they tried thing after thing, and they tried diagnosis after diagnosis trying to figure out, like, what exactly is going on with this kid? It's weird. We're not sure what it is. 
and they'd, they'd go down the road of like certain treatments and then realize once they were a few steps down the road, like we didn't, we didn't figure out what the original problem is, so this isn't helping at all. And so uh, a few months go by and, and I'm in and out of the hospital, I'm feeling really sick and the, the news starts to blow up with this, this scare that you, may, that you may have heard of called the West Nile virus. Remember that? Like it's popped up a few times since then, but back in like the mid 2000s, there was like this big scare in the United States, like the West Nile virus is here and so you gotta be careful. And, and they never even thought to check that because that was something that just affected mostly older people or really younger people, not a healthy 15-year-old, but like once they decided like, hey, we're going to pursue this a little bit, we're going to check into this, they found out, yes, in fact, this kid went away to a church camp. That would never happen at our church camps, but this kid went away at a church camp, got bit by a mosquito, and came back and had West Nile. And so this is what's been causing all these symptoms. This is what has been causing all this problem. And now that we know where the root is, we know how to move forward. We know how to treat it. We know uh, uh, what to do. And so, you know, I learned a lot through that process. And then I also, I also claimed the uh, super clever nickname that my friends came up with, and I forever have to carry that with me. And so I'm gifting it to you, and you can use it if you want. I'm forever now known to that group of friends in high school as West Nile Kyle, all right? <laughs> it's going to stay with me for life. I've stopped trying to pretend like it's not there or get rid of it. So there you go. Have fun. West Nile Kyle, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forever have that. But once they knew what the problem was, they knew how to move forward. And I think the very same thing is true in our spiritual life with our relationship with God. If we never take the time to gain clarity on what the actual problem is, then we are going to have a hard time moving forward. And so that's kind of what I hope that we can accomplish today, is to bring some clarity into the state that we find ourselves so that we can move forward into who God has called us to be. So we're going to be looking at where this all began in Genesis chapter 3. And so you're welcome to turn there if you want. You can grab a Bible out of the information rack or pull it up on your phone, or if you have one with you, that's great. Um, But you can get turned over to Genesis chapter 3. But up until this point, after God created humanity and he invited them into what he was doing to bring more and more good into the world for human flourishing, um, things are going great. Adam and Eve, humanity is functioning in their true purpose, the way that God intended for it to be. You may remember we talked about how it was a a relationship between humanity and God that was built on faith and trust, where the human's role is just to, to receive everything from God, and then in turn, they would just give it back out to those around them, for the, the people and the world, all to ensure that flourishing, that, that more and more good would come about. And in this relationship, even rested the very discernment to know what is right and wrong. Humanity trusted God to know what was right and what was wrong, to know what was best. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, the Lord took The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Again, that language is not a a spectator language. It's not like, oh, you stand over there and do your human thing and you just watch me do my God thing. He's like, no, 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 come here. Let's bring more and more good out of this. That's such an important truth to internalize. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. He's like, everything is on limits, go for it. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, so what's happening here? 
Remember, last week, if you were here, we talked a little bit about kings at the time when this was written, kings who would uh, claim to be God. And in their godship, they got to decide what was right, what was wrong, what was good, what was evil. They got to make the calls on that. Everyone else had to follow their direction. But this relationship between humans and the Hebrew God, the one true God, it's a little different. In this relationship, we as people, as human beings, we defer to God to know what's best. It's trusting him at his word because he has always proven his word to be good. Even just a few chapters into the Bible, like we have seen proven that God's word is good. Remember, he spoke everything into existence. Everything he created, he created with the word and then called it good. Even this early on in our understanding of God, like he has proven his word to be good and nothing has changed since then. It's important for us to wrap our heads around this because if all we get out of this verse is that somehow God like put a cookie out on a plate surrounded by vegetables, and was like, okay, guys, go to town, like, eat all the vegetables, but don't eat the cookie, then sets it down and steps back and crosses his arms and waits for the inevitable, like, that's a really poor representation of who God is, but sometimes that's the picture we get in our head. That's not what he's doing at all. He's not laying out some some rule that he knows that we're going to break, that he is set out there for us to break. Instead, God is saying to his creation, to humans, I've created you in my image, in my likeness, to look like me and to act like me and to reflect me and to do the things that I do. And as you do that, you trust me. You trust me with the ultimate knowledge of what is right and what is wrong and what's good and what's hurtful because only he could actually know that. Only he could be trusted to know that. And then things kind of start to go sideways in chapter three. We're going to start reading together. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So right off the bat, he's like full out lying. Like God told them they could eat of any tree, just not one tree. But the snake says, so did God really say like you can't eat any of the trees? And to Eve's credit, she kind of shuts that down pretty quickly in verse 2. It says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. So then the serpent kind of like changes strategies here. The serpent says to the woman, no, 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 you will not surely die. No, that won't happen. God can't be trusted. That's not true. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will, listen to this, be like God, knowing good and evil. Listen to that language. He says, the reason God is holding out on you, and be sure God is holding out on you, is because once you eat that fruit, you will be like him. What's crazy about that? It's because these people have already been made to be like God to look like God, to think like God. They were already made in his image. They were already reflections on him. And that didn't hinge on whether they knew or were deciding themselves between what was right and what was evil. And really, like, this is a, this is a huge concept for us because this is all that sin is the vast majority of the time. It's us trying to go get something that God has already promised us on our own terms and in our own timing. That's what this is. 
pretty much any sin that you can think of, when you boil it down to its base elements, it's something that God has already provided, already promised to us, and we're just trying to get there on our own terms and in our own timing. Verse six says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she caves and she took the fruit and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And in this moment, everything starts to fall apart. Here's what happens. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they interpreted that that was a bad thing. That was a wrong thing. In their decision, they decided that was wrong. And so they felt shame for the first time ever, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, thinking they could genuinely hide from God. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Like he didn't know. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, immediately throws Eve under the bus, by the way, like immediately. He's like, the woman whom you gave to me, man, she's the one that gave me the fruit of the tree, and so I ate it. And then God turns to Eve. He says to the woman, what is this that you've done? And she passes the buck along down the line. She's like, well, I mean, the serpent, he's the one that deceived me, and so I ate it. It's deflecting down the, down the line there. Then God has this little side conversation with the snake, and we're actually going to skip that for right now. We're going to circle back around to it later, and then turns his attention to Adam and Eve to lay out some of the consequence of the decision that they had made. We're going to pick up reading in verse 16. It says this, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." Immediately after this, by the end of the chapter, Adam and Eve had been banished from the garden, the place that they were fulfilling their ultimate purpose in life. What's interesting here that we see is that they are still doing the things that God created them to do, but with a whole bunch of extra pain and a whole bunch of extra hardship. Eve is still making more of. Adam is still ruling over, but there's all kinds of baggage. There's all kinds of distortion. There's all kinds of extra hurt and hardship in that. What we see here in this moment in scripture is something that we feel now in 2019 for sure. We see in this single action like these massively significant changes happen. Few things go down. The first is we see a breaking of a command. Like God told them, don't eat of this tree. They broke the law, they broke the command, and they ate from the tree. But really, it's a lot more than just that. It's not some arbitrary rule that they just didn't listen to. Really what it is It's a breaking of trust between humanity and God. Like, remember that up until this point, they have been in the dirt side by side, bringing more and more good out of the world and into the world, working alongside 
God. Have you, ever, have you ever had that experience where you work alongside someone after a long day of working and all of a sudden, and you just get to the end of the day and you realize, man, we're closer than we had been and probably would have been if we had spent 10 times sitting down to coffee. Like we know each other better than we would have thought. There's more trust there as we kind of pursue the same goal. And I think the same is true in the relationship between humanity and God, there was a lot of trust there and that trust was broken because of what Adam and Eve did. Like, I don't wanna read into things that aren't there, but I gotta believe that that grieved God's heart so much. I don't think he was mad that they broke a rule that he made up. I think his heart was grieved that the trust was broken between creation and creator. Second thing we see, we see this horrible habit emerge in humanity of taking instead of receiving and giving. Up to this point, humanity has done nothing but receive from God what God thought was best and then give it out to the people around them. But what do we see in this passage? We see Eve take the fruit. And then we see Adam take the fruit. And it just snowballs from there. Flip over one chapter to Genesis 4. We're introduced to a guy named Lamech who took justice into his own hands and executed it in an incredibly violent and horrible and ungodly way. Jump a few more chapters forward in Genesis chapter 6, and there's this group of people called the sons of God. That's a whole different conversation, but here's what it tells us. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took them as their wives, any that they chose. And it's just gotten worse and worse and worse as human history has unfolded. If you want something, you take it. And it's almost celebrated. It's it's something that's in us before we're even aware of it, right? I have have a little six-month-old. Well, I think he's probably like seven months now. Seven-month-old. And he has just figured out like some of his motor skills. And so I don't know if you've ever had kids. They kind of go from just laying there, like, yeah, to as soon as they figure that out, their their arms turn to lightning. And they're like, they'll just like get whatever, right? Literally, between services, after I already told this story, I was dropping him off in childcare, and he ripped a big old chunk of my daughter's hair right out of her head because he grabbed it and just wouldn't let go and pulled it right out. And they do that all the time, right? As soon as they can grab something, they're grabbing glasses and noses and hair and anything they can get their hands on. And... We don't really grow out of that. We get a little more refined, a little more sneaky about it, but we don't really ever grow out of that unless someone comes and puts a stop to it. As humanity, tracing all the way back to this moment, we develop this horrible habit of just taking what we want, no matter the consequence. And maybe the most incredible thing that we see here, this is the thing that impacted me most as I've walked through this and wrestled with this, is that we see the whole order of creation flip on its head. The whole thing turn upside down. Literally, how everything was supposed to be gets completely turned upside down. And a whole new way of life is presented. It's not pretty. And that's the world that we live in. That's why we feel the tension that we feel. When I think about this like upside down world that our rebellion against God created, uh, my mind jumps to this, this one image. I'm kind of a visual person, and so it's really helpful to me to kind of have an image that I can attach to for some of these concepts. And uh, the image is from this TV show that kind of like swept the nation. Some of you may have heard of it or watched it called Stranger Things. And basically Stranger Things, <laughs> someone likes it. Basically Stranger Things is like a heaping spoonful of 80s nostalgia, okay? Pretty much that's the deal. It's this little ragtag group of kids 
uh, set in the 80s in this like small rural town. And also I decided as I was thinking through this, like all 80s movies and movies set in the 80s, apparently parents are like nowhere to be found. Like, there's never parents in these movies, so it's all up to the kids to save the day. And that's what these kids do. They use all their little kid tricks that they have up their sleeves to save the day from like these monsters that are coming from this alternate dimension. I know, very, very uh, sci-fi. Um, and this alternate place, they keep referring to it as the upside down because when they go there, it kind of resembles the place that they came from, kind of resembles home for them, but it's falling apart, it's all rusted out, it's corroded, it's, it's dying, it's rotting, it's dangerous. And even though it kind of resembles home, something is massively off when they go to the upside down. And I think that the exact same thing is true to the world that we find ourselves living in. It might resemble a little bit home, the world that God created and intended for this world to be, but there is a lot of garbage uh, in the way for us to be able to live in that, to see it. And so everything we know about thriving and ruling, which is still our purpose after all, has also been completely flipped upside down. So to survive and to control and to take and and to take care of ourselves, humanity starts to rule in a different way. And we see it compound in the, even these first few chapters of the Bible. If God intended for us to rule by bringing life, like if, God, if ruling God's way was characterized by life, then ruling in the upside down is characterized by death. You don't have to go very far to see it. Go over one chapter and you get the story of Cain and Abel. One generation later, murder is introduced onto the scene. Uh, One generation later, uh, malice-filled, premeditated death is brought into the picture. If ruling God's way is characterized by good, by bringing more and more good into the world, then, then ruling in the upside down is characterized by evil. Again, between Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 6, where we meet Noah, and there's that flood, and and everything gets washed away. You've heard that story. Between chapter 3 and 6, humanity gets so evil that God looks at them and says, I regret making you. And we're not that far off. There's been incredible evils, incredible atrocities committed in very recent years, even currently. If ruling God's way is marked by service like we see in Jesus, then ruling in the upside down is marked by power, by amassing as much power as we can so that no one can challenge us, that we do whatever it takes and it doesn't matter who we hurt or step on to make sure that we're okay. And really what's happened here is we've traded ruling as humans that God created us to rule as for ruling like beasts. There's this symbol, it's symbolic here in this passage where we've gone from ruling over creation, animals included, and when the world goes upside down, so does who is calling the shots. So God created humans, and, that, and in, in this interaction in Genesis chapter 3, like, humans are over snakes. God set that up that way. Amen, right? Humans are over snakes. And so in this passage, though, in this moment, we have swapped places of authority. The snake begins calling the shots, and how we deal with this new world kind of follows suit. We start to lead, we start to rule in animalistic and beastly ways. Let's, you don't have to believe just me, like let's take a look at it. 
right off the bat, when Adam and Eve knew what they did wrong, what did they do? They ran away and hid. Anyone here who has ever had a dog who has done anything wrong, what's the first thing they do? They go and they hide, right? We see Adam and Eve like past the consequences, past the blame down the line. There's a, there's a perceived pecking order. Again, something we borrow from the animals. In the next chapter, we get literal words that say sin is crouching at your door, ready to pounce, much like an animal. The devil is referred to later on in scripture as a lion prowling around looking for his next meal. In the book of Daniel, and later on in the Old Testament, we meet this guy named Nebuchadnezzar who ruled in such a beastly way that God, to teach him a lesson, made him the very person he was pretending to be. He ended up living with the animals. He was out eating the grass. He became very animalistic in nature. And even outside the obvious words of Scripture, if we look around at the world, this makes a ton of sense. Animal tactics are what are going to get you ahead in this world. In fact, they're celebrated. I think if we're honest, we would see a lot of them in our lives if we looked. How many times do we use, like, fear and intimidation? to get what we want? How many times do we manipulate relationships, even people we say we love? How many times do we use like deceit to try to manipulate a situation to go our way? We're advantageous, we just jump in as soon as it becomes easy. We, we pick off the weak so that we can be strong. Our care and loyalty for each other, I mean, it only goes as far as like our base instincts. The reality is, like we are born into this world that kind of resembles home but it's completely flipped on its head. And because we are born bent towards sin, we have all the beastly tools we need to thrive here. But I want you to know something. This is important, because otherwise this would be kind of a bummer of a message. I want you to understand something. Even now, in this mess, in this upside down world, you and I, we are still made in the image of God. We are still made in his likeness. He still cares for each and every one of us. And your purpose is still the same. We've just worked so hard to distort it. We've made it much, much more difficult to live out. For using this example of like reflecting God's character, it's going to pop up again quite a bit in the next few weeks. Um, how, how one of the ways we can think about us being an image or reflection of God is that we're a mirror reflecting what he is about and what his heart is about. Um, if we're created to reflect God, then when sin enters the world, the mirror gets shattered. It still reflects a little bit, but it's super distorted to the extent that it kind of makes it useless or at the very least really ineffective to what it was created for. And that's where we find ourselves. But there are still little glimpses. Kind of the cool thing is like humanity kind of can't help itself but to live out, at least in part, the purpose that God has put on our lives. But we're just as quick to royally mess it up. So you think of any like advancement in, in, in society or in product or any kind of thing that you can think of that would like push humanity forward, that would make us better. Like there's, there's this part of us that like yearns to do these things that help other people, but then we're super quick to follow it up with ways to distort it and make it all about us again. Let me give you a few examples of this. I, I went through and did some research and looked at a, a bunch of products that people made with the best intentions in all the world, but ended up uh, causing a ton of pain and hurt. One that popped up on every list, which I thought was so interesting, was TNT. You know, you've seen it in cartoons with the thing, TNT. 
It was originally just meant as a dye, a yellow dye to dye fabric. And then somewhere along the line, they realized that it had explosive properties. I would would not want to have been the guy who found that out. Like, I'm just wearing my nice yellow shirt. Oh, this blows up. Interesting. Okay. And even in that realization, like, TNT is something that, you know, provided a, an opportunity to make roads, to clear debris, to, to make the land suitable, to build cities and societies to grow. And it contributed toward humanity moving forward. Good to come out of the world. And then we're very quick to follow it up to use the exact same thing to cause death and hurt and destruction. Another example is medicine. There's all these scientists throughout history who have had these breakthroughs in medicine where they've come up with something that prolongs life and gives better quality of life and eradicates disease, and then we're always quick as a human race to follow it up with, well, and we're going to slap a huge price tag on it so that the very people who need it have no hope of ever getting their hands on it. The internet, for crying out loud, the internet has so much huge potential for human flourishing. Education is available at people's fingertips. They're connected. They're able to have a much greater quality of life because they know more, and we are all very aware of how dark the internet can get. It's important for us to realize this, that there are little glimpses. At humanity's best, it's our soul yearning to live out the purpose that God has actually placed on our lives. We cannot help ourselves but to live in that, but we also can't help ourselves but to screw it up. Our heart longs for it. And I wanna encourage you in this. Your heart does not long or yearn in vain. Because next week, we're gonna talk about Jesus a lot. And the world that your heart yearns for, listen to this, is the world that he is bringing. It's the world that he has established. It's his kingdom. He has come to turn this world right side up. And God has promised that to us from the very beginning. Let's circle back around to that conversation God had with that snake. Here's what he says. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Other translations say he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first prophecy we get of the coming Messiah, of Jesus, who is coming to take this upside down world that is dying, that is ruled by death and oppression and hurt and pain and selfishness. He's coming to put it right side up again. I I have always thought that Jesus' kingdom is the one that's upside down because I thought this is where we start. And Jesus has come to turn it upside down. But actually, that's not at all what's happening. Jesus is coming to turn this world right side up. We've turned it upside down. God has come to turn it right side up. So this week, what can we do with this? Like, this is a lot of information, and I do hope that it provides a little bit of extra clarity for, like, the situation we find ourselves in, kind of why we go to the defaults we go to. But what can we do between now and next week where we get to hear about Jesus and how he fixes it? Here's what I would encourage. If last week we walked out of here and asked the question, uh, what would my life look like if I lived out my purpose? This week, walk out of here and be honest enough to look at your life and ask the question, and where am I ruling like an animal? When it comes to my marriage, when it comes to my kids, when it comes to my business, when it comes to my interactions, when it comes to the things that I do that no one else knows about, am I ruling like an animal or am I ruling like a human 
made in the image of God. And be honest about it. I think, I think we'll probably walk away think, uh, understanding that we rule a lot like beasts, but that's not how we have to be. In fact, it's never how we were meant to be in the first place. And it will all be remedied because of what Jesus has done. So be sure to come back next week, having walked through the mud, so to speak, because next week we're going to get to see exactly what it looks like to live in this kingdom that's been flipped back to the way it was intended to be. Would you pray with me? Jesus, God, I pray that uh, you would give us courage. I know for me, it is so much easier to just ignore this, to be like, yeah, sin's a part of my life, and yeah, it's bad, and yeah, I get it, because scripture says it's bad, but I don't really want to like dig too deep. Lord, I pray that we would have courage to do that. But I pray that we would understand that the world that we live in and the way that we function is not something to be celebrated. It's not something to admire, but it's, it's an affront to you, God. But you've called us into something greater. And that there are pieces of us that yearn for that, that recognize that. Lord, I pray that we would listen to them. That's your spirit speaking to us. And God, I pray that as we come back next week and we, we hear about uh, the way forward that you have created for us, God, that we would uh, be primed and ready to not just walk down that path, but to sprint down it. We love you, God. We thank you for what you're doing. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would take this information, sink it deep into our hearts throughout the course of this week. Show us more and more examples of where we're at, but who you've called us to be. We love you in your awesome name. Amen. Uh, I'd like to invite...